The last time we did Love Running two years ago, Matt Miles was inspired um, and wrote a song called No Bounds about the love that God has. You see, the whole point of Love Running is the love. Without love, Love Running is just running. And running is, you know, you can take it or leave it and you mostly want to leave it. But with love, then it speaks something powerful. And the idea that God's love runs to where it is needed the most. And we, as followers of Jesus, are to run his love to where we find need in our city. And so this song, Your Love Knows No Bounds, run to me and see me as I am. You will always love me as I am. It was inspired by love running. And it's inspired by the kind of iconic message from Scripture that informs us when we talk about love running, which is what I want to talk to you about tonight, the running God, the running Father. You see, when we look at issues in our city and when we look at issues in our world, It is painful to see the state that we are in. Sometimes we feel so powerless. We look at our nation. We look at what's happening. We look at discord and disunity, division. We look at all the issues that come against us that seem to hold us back. We look at our world. We're supposed to see progress. We're supposed to see things getting better, but they don't. They get worse. We're supposed to have this great technological age, this age of enlightenment, and yet it just seems that we have issues where the world is still broken, the world is still full of pain. And it's okay to think, well, we can give and we can run and we can raise, but here's a fundamental question that many, many people ask, and that's this, where is God? You know, if we believe in God and if God cares for the world, then why do we still have to find ourselves picking up the pieces? Why are we still dealing with children who are denied a future and an education? If God is real, why do we still have these issues, kids being groomed into gangs and violent lifestyles? Where is God? Sometimes you ask these questions on the big scale. You look at the world. You look at the national conflict. You look at the issues that we have within our own culture and you say, where is God? But you also look sometimes at your own lives and you think, where is God with my stuff? Where is God with my pain, my brokenness? Where is God when I deal with anxiety and depression? Where is God when I don't know where I'm supposed to be going or where I am heading? Where is God? And it may be that you are here not necessarily as a believer in Jesus, maybe a little bit on the outside looking in. You've been brought by a friend or you've just found this place and you're looking for something and you have these questions. Where is God? And the Bible gives us this incredible revelation. It's like this brand new surprise that actually it's not about where is God. It's about where are we? Where are we at? That God is not missing. He's not AWOL. He's not off the reservation. That God is where he's always been. The question is, where are we? And the Bible does this incredible thing. It says, actually, the issue with us is that we are lost. We are lost. There's something very profound about the human condition that means We've lost something. We're lost to a degree. We're lost in the core of our being. Do you know, when the Bible talks about people being lost, it says that there's more than one way of being lost. You may say, well, I'm not lost. I know where I'm going. I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I don't feel lost. I'm not missing anything. And actually, there's more than one way of being lost lost. You can be lost knowing exactly where you are. You can be lost knowing exactly where you're going. Jesus tells a story. He's surrounded by people and these people are asking that question, where is God? They live in a nation that has been invaded by a foreign occupying superpower, 
and they live in enemy-occupied territory, and they say, where is God? If we're supposed to be God's chosen people, where is he? And even in their own very lives, Jesus telling this story was surrounded by the marginal people, the rejects. He was with the prostitutes. He was with the tax collectors. He was with the collaborators, with the scum of society. The people who were broken and knew that they were broken. He was also with the religious people who wanted to follow God but knew that something was not quite right. And he tells three stories about lost things. He talks about a lost coin. Sure, you can lose a coin. That makes perfect sense. He talks about a lost sheep. Of course, you can lose a sheep. Sheep, stupid, wander off, don't know where they are. You have to go find them. But then he tells a story about a lost boy. And it isn't a story about lostness that you think it's going to be. Because this boy knows exactly where he is at all times. He's not really lost. And yet, Jesus telling the story says he's lost. Over and over again, he tells the story. A lost son. A lost son. Because you can be lost so profoundly even when you know where you are. And some of us here, we know what that is like. I know what it's like to be lost. Lost on such a level. Lost even though I know where I am, I know where I'm supposed to be going, and yet so profoundly lost, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I was 12 years old. I'm half Nigerian, I'm half English. I was born in Nigeria. I've got an English mother, Nigerian dad. And I was living in Nigeria for a good deal of my childhood. When I was 11 years old, my parents said, right, you're going to go back to England to school. Oh. And uh, so I go to school. My dad brings me over. My dad takes care of me. My dad is big and strong and clever, and he knows what's what. And he gets me safely to England. And I'm living with my grandma and my granddad. And I go to school. The family are over back in Nigeria. I'm 12 years old. It's the first holidays. It's time for me to come back. First time I went with my dad. Now it's my first time to go on my own. It should be easy. All you've got to do is get on the plane at Leeds, Yeadon Airport. That will fly you straight over, direct to Lagos, the Mohamed Matala International Airport. No problem. So we, we get to Leeds Airport, and it is a struggle. Grandma and Granddad, they take me there in the car, the little mini that my granddad used to drive, but it is a foggy day. And they're freaked out because the visibility is just diminishing. And they're old people. And they're worried about their own safety. So they say, you'll be fine. Someone from the airline will come. They'll put you on the plane. You'll go straight to Nigeria. Bye. Been great having you, son. And off they go. I'm on my own. I'm 12 years old. No one from the airline shows up. There's an announcement after about two hours of waiting. Because of the incredible fog around the airport, my things have been diverted. I have to get on to a coach to drive to Manchester Airport. Get to Manchester Airport, a few hours waiting around, all on my own. I'm 12 years old. Announcement comes, diversion. You've got to get on a small plane flight to Gatwick Airport. This is quite cool. I threw up on the plane. <laughs> uh, no one's with me, but I'm doing it. You know, I'm okay. I'm a resilient kid. I'm in Gatwick Airport. I wait there for hours, hours and hours, so tired. And then the announcement comes, seriously? I have to get a helicopter to Heathrow. They did these big helicopters back when I was 12 years old. And I get on one. That's quite an adventure, you know, get on the helicopter, get to Heathrow, more waiting around. I've now been nearly 24 hours waiting in airports. Finally, get the flight 
over six hours landing at Lagos. And when I land in Lagos, I come into an airport full of no parents. I'm 12 years old. There's no one. I'm 24 hours that I've been traveling. I've got my bag. The heat hits you like a hot blanket. It's humid. It's dusty. It's raw. Guys with the machine guns guarding, and I make my way through, and I'm looking, where's my dad? Where is my dad? Where's my mum? Where's my little brother? Even my little brother I'm missing at this point. And I sit down, and I can't find them. I just sit waiting patiently. My dad will get me. My dad will come for me. Where is my dad? Where is he? I am lost. I waited for one hour. It's okay. I'm 12, I'm fine, I'm a grown-up. Two hours. This is getting a bit ridiculous. Three, four, five hours I waited in that airport. And on the fifth hour, I couldn't hold it in anymore. A little tear came down, dribbled down my cheek. Got lonely, called for all his friends. They all came down. <laughs> I'm crying in the airport. Official came up to me. What are you crying for, little boy? I said... I can't find my dad, and no one's here to meet me. Well, I threw up on the plane twice. Um, they said, do your parents live in Lagos? No, we live in Abaddon. Do you have anyone that you are meeting in Lagos? I said, yes, we're going to see my grandma. Do you know where she lives? I said, well, I'm pretty sure I could recognize it if I saw it. So maybe if you drove me around, I would recognize it. They said, that's not going to work. Uh, they said, what is the name of your grandparent? And I said, my grandma's called Mama Akba, which is good because I knew who my grandma was. I mean, I'm not a complete idiot, right? She's called Mama Akba. She's got to be like really important and special because she's called Mama Akba. That sounds like a big person name, you know, like Dame somebody or other. Mama Akba, the guy just goes, oh. Don't you know that Mama Agba is Nigerian for grandma? <laughs> okay. He said, don't worry. We are going to put you in a hotel. And you can stay in the hotel and we will find your parents. And if we don't find your parents, then you can live in the hotel for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, well, you know, that's great. I've got my bags, I've got my stuff. I've got a hotel. I'm going to be in a hotel room. And they... they take me, there's a guy, I remember this big guy, and I remember this woman, and she's a little bit more kind and gentle, and not such a stereotypical bad accent, and um, I, I got my bags, and they take me into the car park, and there's a, a taxi, and the taxi guy stops, pulls up, he gets out, the boot goes in, I remember my bag goes in the boot, the boot comes down, and they open the back door, and I'm about to go in, and spend the rest of my life in the Hilton Lagos International. I hear this sound. It's a sound which is still to this day the sweetest sound I ever heard. I was 12 years old. And the sound is this. Philip! I look, and there from a long way away, I don't know how he spotted me, 
I don't know how he knew that it was me. But somehow I can see it's my dad from a long way. And he's running and he's running and he's running. My dad is running towards me. My dad, when he was young, he was quite hot stuff. You know, he was track and field. And that man, he put on a burst of speed. I mean, people were just applauding. It was, it was world-class stuff. And then behind, my mum, not such hot stuff, arms, legs all over. <laughs> And then my little brother, even my little brother was like, where have you been? And my dad comes and he picks me up and he holds me and he's crying. My dad never cries, but he holds me. And at this moment, I'm no longer lost. I still don't know where my grandmother lives. I don't even know my grandmother's name. She's just granny in Yoruba. But now my father has got me and I'm no longer lost because I know that I have been reconciled in relationship with my father. And that's the story that Jesus tells. He says that's the lostness that we all experience. The lostness is not about not knowing where you are. It's not about not knowing where you're going. It's about not knowing your father, not having a relationship with the one that created you, saying, where is God? Where is my father, because when my father holds me and when we're back together again, I know that no matter what, it's going to be okay. And so Jesus tells this incredible story, the story of the prodigal son, of a boy who demands his share of the inheritance, spitting in the face of his old man, going away to a foreign country, squandering the whole lot on wild living, wild women, using it all up and then being used himself, trying to find work on a pig farm, which is the lowest of the low if you're a good Jewish boy. And then coming to his senses halfway through and saying, well, I've blown it so much, but is there a chance? Is there a chance that I can put things right with my dad? Of course, never to be a son, just to be a servant. Because the servants in my father's household, they live twice, ten times as better as I'm doing now. And he goes the long, dusty way home. And the Bible says, do you know what God is like? Do you want to know what God is like? Did you think that God was some aloof figure stroking his long gray beard off in some corner of the cosmos? No care, no worry, dispassionate, unmoved, removed from you. Did you think that what was God was like? Jesus says, no, 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 no. God is not absent. God is not missing. God is not uncaring. God is like this man. He sees the sun from a long way off. Jesus tells, this is the story, he says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That is love running, a heart full of compassion. The old man running like a crazy man down through the dusty streets, kicking up a dust cloud behind him, flip-flops just flying, picking up his skirts and running, beard flapping in the breeze, people coming out of their houses, oh man, slow down, you give yourself a heart attack, I don't care, I don't care, it's my boy, I know that walk, I know that look, I know him anywhere, a long way off, filled with compassion, he runs, 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 runs towards him. Jesus says, this is how God feels about you. 
What a tragedy if some of us are here and we feel that God doesn't care, that God is somehow a big judge with a big stick on a cloud, or that God is just, he's just totally disinterested. He, he's, he's not even bothered. He's not aware of you. You're less than nothing. Such a tragedy because Jesus says, this is how God feels about you. And he says, he does three things. The Father does three things that God does for us. First of all, he reconciles. So the son and the father, they have a break in their relationship. The son has broken faith with his father and has brought the family into disrepute. He has squandered their money. The relationship is broken. How are you going to reconcile it? Well, Jesus says, the son has this speech. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son has got this big speech that he's prepared. And then you've got to go into negotiation. Well, you blew it. I don't know if I can trust you again. And if we take it one step at a time. And you've, you've got all your money. That's it. You can maybe work it off and pay me. No, there's none of that. When it comes to the father's response, it's just totally, he interrupts and goes on to something else. It's like you're already reconciled. You don't need me to reconcile you. All you need for reconciliation with your father is just to say, I I, I want to be reconciled. And he's already done it. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself already. The Bible says that we've sinned, we've messed up, we've broken faith with God, we've broken faith with ourselves, broken faith with others. We live lives that we feel shame about. We don't match up to the standards that we want to live for ourselves. The Bible says this sin, this falling short, this messing up, this failure, this human frailty, all of us are guilty, all of us are in the same boat, but God has already reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he died so that all of us could be brought in to God's embracing love. You've already been forgiven. You've already been made clean. You've already been made. There's a way that's been made back for you. You've just got to ask. He's looking for mercy and the Father, it's right there. It is so wonderful, so wonderful, so wonderful. And then Jesus makes it even more wonderful. Not only is he reconciles, he reconciles, but then he restores. Jesus said, the Father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. The best robe, you sure, boss? You sure about that? But this son of yours? Yeah, the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This poor, ragged, barefoot beggar that comes back. The father restores everything to him that he has lost. You know, we talk about mercy. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is I deserve punishment. I deserve some kind of consequence, some kind of payback. I've messed up. I've lied. I've cheated. I've hurt. I've broken faith. I've been full of lust. I've been full of greed. I've been full of anger. I've been full of jealousy. I've let people down. Mercy is I don't get what I deserve for that. I'm let off the hook. And that's what happens when he's reconciled. But grace is I get what I don't deserve. That's happens, what happens when you're restored. He says, listen, all the things that he does not deserve, give them to him. Put the ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Crown him up as a prince once more. Everything that the life experiences stripped away, he wants to give it back. 
Listen, so many of us are here this evening and you just are aware that you've lost something. And Jesus comes to restore to us the things that have been taken away from us. For some of you, it's been profound stuff that you have lost, things that you have had done to you, things that you have been, you've experienced a brokenness. Well, you feel like a future has been taken or a hope has been taken or a certain amount of optimism and having a positive view of, of what could be in life. You've lost that. It's been taken from you. Some of you, it was a relationship. went bad. It's stripped you of self-confidence and courage for the future. Others of you, it's just a kind of a growing, creeping unease about life. But the Father wants to restore to you. He wants to restore to you all the things he wanted for you in the first place. He restores him. And then it gets even better. This is what I love. He reconciles, he restores, then he rejoices. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You have simply no idea how God rejoices over you. The Bible says that when one of his lost children turns to face him and asks for a relationship, there is rejoicing in heaven. You know what it says in this very passage? Jesus says, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. And when I used to hear this growing up in church, I would think, so the angels are having a party. But that's not what it says. The angels are having a party. But it says the rejoicing that's going on is in the presence of the angels. In other words, it is God himself who picks up his robe and starts doing the lambada and is dabbing and is just going absolutely crazy or whatever it is that you young folks do. <laughs> There's rejoicing in the heart of God when we come back to him because he loves us so much. And that's why we, as a community, we're a community that cares deeply and has full compassion for the needs of our city and the needs of our world. And we want to respond to that. But at the same time, we're a, a community that has celebration and joy at the very heart of it. We make no excuse and no apologies for that because we believe that the God of creation celebrates over his children when they are reconciled and restored. He has a party. And if you look in the book, the Bible, you flip through to the last chapter and the last page, you turn it over, you find the whole thing ends with a party. It ends with a celebration. It ends with an infinite cosmic banquet, an outpouring exclamation of God's joyous wonder. And we share in it all. And one day, all this work that we have been doing as followers of Jesus, we'll get to be caught up in that celebration, that party of God. The kingdom of God is a party. It's not a boring, button-down, do your chew laces, eat your greens, don't chew. It is joy in the presence of God. Joy in the presence of the angels. Now, these three things, reconciles, restores, rejoices. We have a special technical word for them, and I'm going to leave you with this. And that is, 
good news. The good news is that God has reconciled us to him in Christ Jesus. He has restored everything to us that we are supposed to have, our dignity as human beings created in the image of God. And he rejoices over us as we give our lives to him. I'm just going to finish before we go into this final time of worship by inviting you to join me in a prayer. And this is a prayer particularly for those of you that have never consciously invited Jesus into your life. Some of you are here and you've been just kind of intrigued by the whole Christian thing. You've seen it in your friend. You started to get involved. Maybe you did love running and you've been on the fringes and you just feel like, yeah, I I need to take the next step. You've never consciously prayed to ask Jesus into your life. You've never done what that son did. Come to your senses and go and speak to God. He never went anywhere. He's always been there. He was waiting for you to come back, to no longer be lost, to be embraced in the arms of your father. So I'm going to pray a prayer for you in just a moment that you can pray to invite Jesus to come into your life, the father to catch you up in his love. For those of us that are Christians, this is a simple message, but it's the best message. It's the good news. It's the gospel of our salvation. And I speak it again and I speak it again because we need to be reminded this is what we're about. This is why we do Metro. This is why we do church. Because we're servants running along with our Father, ready to put a brand new robe, the best robe, on children of his that come back to him so that we might be caught up in God's celebration party. But right now, I'm going to give you the opportunity just to pray that prayer. We've got another thing happening, which um, the invites are on your seat, Alpha. For those of you who are thinking, yeah, I like it. I need to know a little bit more. We've got seven-week course starting on June the 5th. Allows you to go through, hear a talk, get some cake, have some coffee, be in a group, ask questions. Go on a little bit of a spiritual journey. It's free and there's no strings attached. So I'd love to invite you to sign up to that, take one of the leaflets. But right now, I know, I know some of you are right here ready. You've been ready for a while. You've just been looking for the right opportunity. And some of you, you're ready to get baptized. If you want to get baptized, we're looking to do something maybe next month. So come find me, talk to me. If that's where you're at, you're ready to take that step. But let's just bow our heads. Let's pray. And I'm going to give you the words of a simple prayer to invite Jesus into your life. So just while everyone's got their eyes closed, if you've never prayed consciously to ask Jesus to take control of your life, then you pray this prayer. I'll do it a bit at a time so that you can hear it, process it, and just echo it in your own mind. And then I'm going to pray for you. So pray this prayer, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's an act of rededication. This is the prayer. Dear God, you know my life. You know my heart. You know how I've got lost I've lost my connection with you. I can hardly believe this good news. But I'm willing to take a chance. I want you to come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for living without you. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made. 
come into my life by your Holy Spirit. I invite you to become my Lord. Give me your spirit. Make me a new person. Reconcile me. Restore me. Rejoice over me. I offer myself and this prayer in Jesus' name. Just keep your eyes closed, but those of you that prayed the prayer, I'd like to pray for you. So if that's you and you want to be included, just put your hand up so I can see you and I'll pray for you. Pray that prayer, just put your hand up and I'm going to pray. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you. Great, I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for these individuals that have prayed this prayer this evening. Lord, I thank you that all of heaven rejoices with you. And I want to pray that they would know the joy of you coming into their lives, making them brand new, turning their lives around. Lord, I want to pray that you take them on that journey so that they know you in an incredible way like they've never known you before. I pray you would open up their hearts and pour your spirit into them in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for all of us. I pray all of us here who call ourselves followers of Jesus. I pray that we would know you and that we would be gripped by your heart, your love, that your love would run through us to the world around us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.